Hello there. Welcome along to Season 2, Episode 8 of Horse Racing Heroes, the racing podcast with no betting tips or news chat, but with every episode simply being about one great horse or person in racing. And this episode is about the fellow, and I am delighted to say it is with his legendary trainer, Francois Duman. It's a huge pleasure to speak to Francois, one of the greatest dual-purpose trainers with winners all over the world. And I must admit, I didn't know a huge amount about the fellow before I started my research. And he was a little bit before my time. But I had heard him referenced plenty in recent years when Jack Adam was going for the Cheltenham Gold Cup. And that no horse since the fellow had been beaten in three Gold Cups before eventually winning one. As you'll soon hear, the fellow was also a two-time winner of the King George at Kempton, a race Francois had already won with Nupsala in 1987 when the great Desert Orchid was in behind. The fellow was owned by the Marquesa de Moratala, who at the time owned two other great horses with Francois, Uccello and Ubu Three, known collectively as the Three Musketeers. So before we begin, a quick word of thanks to Adrian Cugnas for helping to make this interview happen. And my thanks also to the sponsors of this show, Horse Racing Ireland. HRI are kindly sponsoring all 10 episodes of season two of this podcast, and I am delighted to be part of the HRI stable. If you would like to see some of the other great racing content they produce, you need look no further than their social media channels, all of which are linked in the show notes, or you could search their hashtag every racing moment. Now that is more than enough from me. So let's hear from Francois Dumas telling us all about the fellow. Francois, the fellow, born in 1985. Firstly, what could you tell us about his breeding? Well, it is actually very interesting. The politicians say, good question. So the, the pedigree is actually unusual because the AQPS, autre que pur sang, uh, are usually made of uh, AQPS female and a uh, a thoroughbred stallion. Most of them are like that, except for the fellow, because actually his sire is AQPS himself and bred to a, 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 a thoroughbred female, which is, as uh, once again, very unusual. And there were two, two champions uh, of that category is his brother Al Capone and himself. So you won't find that very often and it worked so amazingly well that uh, one wonders why there is no more AQPS stallions. Mm, very interesting. So from, from day one, he was unique. Tell me, how, how did he end up in, in your yard? Well, because the, this uh, friend of mine who became the, actually the, the godfather of Thierry um, was, always been interested because having his uh, business in uh, the center of France, he was in the middle of these AQPS breeding and uh, he had his entries to a couple of the best uh, stud farms. And uh, he asked me to go and join him to, to pick up what I liked and what we would do together. The, this is the owner called uh, Fougetoir, uh, very, very French and actually of a racing family for a long time because uh, uh, I used to ride as a German rider 
for his father, Mr. Fougedoir, very known at that stage. It, it, in the in the 1955, early 60s. So the fellow, um, what's he like in those early years? What kind of personality does he, has, does he have? And did you know from an early stage that he was going to be a good horse? Well, rather quickly, except he was, you know, he arrived in my yard. He was at the end of his two years old. Uh, he was a, a bit flat, a bit narrow, a narrow hawks, hasn't finished his growing. Uh, looked uh, a, a totally youngster with no maturation, and uh, but quickly, he, even not yet this physically established, he proved me very quickly that uh, he, he was showing some interesting quality. That actually, I'm just, I just just have his career in front of me, and uh, he ran only once on the flat. It was the a French equivalent to a bumper. And which he, he won easily, and from then on, he never went back to the flat and been most of the time chasing. He's been running on the on the hurdles one, two, three, four times only altogether. So he was mainly from the beginning. His career was uh, chasing. Okay, fantastic. And did he have any quirks or personality? What was was he? Did he do anything strange at home? Yeah, <laughs> he was. Um, he hated carrots. You would put a, a carrot in his mansion. He would stop eating for a month. <laughs> what can you do? Uh, thank God I discovered that early. Otherwise, he would be very skinny. But uh, the otherwise, he was an, uh, an easy ride. He, he was uh, it was a, a, a very gentle horse, and uh, we he was very much. Uh, appreciated by the whole yard. Absolutely. And he, he first appeared in the UK in the King George in 1990. But how, how was his career in France up until that point? Well, he started to, to win quickly at Auteuil, uh, three races, and was immediately noticed by the Marchesa de Moritalia, who uh, at the same time was interested in the other horse of mine of the same equivalent quality, was was called... Uh, Ocelo de two. And um, so, you know, she contacted me and uh, we made a deal because I was a partner in the horse from the beginning. And uh, uh, we made the deal. She bought the two together to make it a nice big fat bundle of money. And then, the, you know, she, she won for her immediately one, two, three, four, five races at Otay. Uh, one of them was a hurdle race, probably a comeback race before going through the autumn season, um, usual thing in France. Uh, but it, it, amazingly, you're talking about the King George. The, 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 he, he won the four in a row, and then he fell in the major race at Auteuil-le-Prix-Lège-Cela. He fell there, but that didn't discourage me because I went to the King George and and uh, he, he was then a very good winner in, uh, in uh, yes, uh, Christmas 91. That was his, he won, he won the King George in 91. He attempted it for the first time in, in 1990 when he was third behind the Great Desert Orchid. So was, was that encouraging for you that he ran so well at Kempton, his first time at Kempton? Yes, 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 because it, it, anyway, the first, first time he was seeing fences 
So it's, uh, for for me, except for the experience I had with Nupsala, it was again a very new experience for my horses and for me. Mm. And then it was encouraging enough that you decided to bring him to Cheltenham for the Gold Cup uh, in March of 1991. And he was he was a 28 to one shot. So and, and maybe some punters and pundits dismissed him a little bit. But were, were you confident of a, a big performance that day? Well, you see, the problem is that uh, it was yet very difficult to compare the, the high value, the rating uh, from France and rating from England. Uh, the rating is a big new word now. Uh, but uh, then, really, honestly, it's, it's, it's like uh, Nupsala when he arrived there. Uh, I remember one of the important stewards at the races said to me, oh, you have steeplechase racing in, in France, you know, <laughs> discovering. And uh, Marus had only finished second of the, of the Grand Steeplechase de Paris, so he couldn't be so unknown. And though he deserved 50 to 1, so you know, it, it, at that stage, we were, we were pioneers, I would say. For sure. And then he, he, he comes second in that Gold Cup. He's beaten by just a short head. Is that, is that a painful experience for you? Oh, completely. Uh, yes. But, you know, I'll, I'll repeat that once again. You know, it was very difficult for a, a young French jockey who'd never been in England or never been actually at Cheltenham uh, has to discover that course, which is one of the most difficult courses in the world. And to have to compete against uh, Robbie Walsh, who against Tony Wall, Tony McCoy, and uh, Mickey Fitz, and so on. And these guys knew their course by heart. And a lot of uh, important journalists say, well, you know, this is worth five lengths to give to, to the others. And on top of it, he arrived on the last fence, and everything was very wide. Uh, he, he was certainly uh, 10 meters away from his competitor. Uh, Conrad didn't know where he was. And on top of it, he, you have to know that it is a, a big fashion now, but then the Marquesa was one of the few owners who would be very upset to, her, to see her horses whipped. So he, he could, when he was fighting for the win, he could hear the Marquesa's voice saying, don't hit my horse. And so he, he wasn't completely free. And when you have only a nose at the end, anything counts. That must be a little bit frustrating for you as a trainer. Obviously, you admire your owner. You're so grateful for your owners. But when they don't want the horse whipped and you lose by a short head in a Cheltenham Gold Cup, this is a drama. This is a nightmare, obviously. You do, especially when it happens two years in a row. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But before his, his second run in, in the Gold Cup, um, he went on a bit of a winning run in France, and including the, the Grand Steep de Paris, the French Gold Cup. What, what can you tell us about, winning, about that day, winning, winning that French Gold Cup? Oh, very expected. I mean, I, I was in a very strong position then in France. Uh, I had the best horses. And you know the those three horses which the Marquesa had bought, uh, put with me, uh, were called the the three musketeers, as you, I'm sure you know. And I didn't know which one was going to finish in front of the other. I was so spoiled. So well, he won. Uh, he won, and uh, the others were there as well. It, it, it was a horse which. I choose to go to England between the, the two others and him uh, because he was very serious in his jumps. Uh, 
it was applicated, it would, you know, he would need to put a, a, another stride quickly because he could himself calculate him. That's why Conrad was so perfect with him because he was, uh, they were a very good couple. He, he was uh, more secure to be sent to England than the two others. And why I looked for England is because it's a bit of a shame to put all the three horses in the same race all the time because they were not qualified anywhere else. The French program ends up at Auteuil. And if you made so much money and so much performances, you can't go and run at Lyon or Bordeaux or Marseille, no way. So instead of running the three in the same race, I decided which one would be more suitable, and that was him to go to England. He had his first win in the UK then, um, in the King George in 1991. Uh, you had won the race before, but I'm, I'm guessing it's a great day to go back there to Kempton and win it on the fellow's second attempt in the race. Uh, reassuring, I would say, because I had, I had appreciated the difficulty uh, of uh, winning in England. Uh, I found that they had, they had, I discovered a lot. I found that the, the pros were very highly pros. They, the courses were in perfect conditions. The, the jumps were higher than anything in France, except for the Relich and Fence out of on the on the back line. He, he is a monster, but the, all the rest is another story. We, so the difficulty was uh, so obvious to me that, well, I. I arrived there with a very tough horse, but I was on tiptoes still. He wins uh, at Kempton, and then he goes to the Gold Cup for a second time, and incredibly, he's beaten a short head again. You must just, you can't believe your luck at that point, I'm guessing. Yeah, they, they called it the length of the Gaulois cigarette. <laughs> that was by one of your famous English journalists. <laughs> they never missed anything. They were very good. Yeah, well, that was it. What else can I say? You know, there are one thing I can say, and please double check. Those two horses who have beaten him, the one was hit, I read that he was hit, hit by the cravash 24 times when he came in home straight. And the other one had a very hard race as well. And uh, if you want to count the, the days now, you will have to count the month. We haven't seen those horses running again for very, very long time, proving that the, it, it, it nearly killed them to beat him. And, and though the year after and the year after, he was still for the King George. The fellow looks like winning that Gold Cup, and obviously he doesn't get whipped. And I believe Adam Kondrat got, got a lot of attention in the press and criticism in the press. Plenty, of course, you know, he, 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 he was young, he was a Polish Frenchman, uh, couldn't speak much of English and <laughs> the journalist adored to interview him because they couldn't understand what he was saying. <laughs> it was quite something. Uh, McCreerick? Yeah, John McCreerick, yeah. I believe yeah. He, was, he was very critical, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I talked to him uh, later. He came to France and so on, and he, he apologized and he ate his hat and all this. Did Adam suffer much with the criticism? Did it bother him, or did you have to reassure him? He was, he was very um, cold-blooded. He was, uh, 
not emotional. He was not emotional. He, he looked it, of course, after winning the Gold Cup. I mean, nobody had won it as a Frenchman, uh, half uh, Polish. Uh, no, he, he was not like that. No, no problem. No problem with that. But uh, who would have I put on the horse otherwise than him? The top jockeys were obviously booked. The other jockeys didn't know the horse at all. So to... To try that, for me, was not feasible. It's a, I'd rather have a, a good couple together, especially that he won the King George with the horse. So uh, he proved that on the English fences, he could do the job. I, I kept my faithfulness with him. He certainly did. In 1992, November, he goes for the Hennessy at Newbury, where he carried top weight of 11 stone 13. What, was, what made you want to, to, to try that race? Mm, maybe as a prep race for the King George again. Yeah, he come, he's third that day and then he goes to Kempton and he retains his crown in the King George. So tell me, what can you tell me about that day? <laughs> it was a good prep. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, with a, with a top Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. And a more experience for the horse because actually he hadn't much run in England much uh, until then. When he wins that second King George, he's the, he's the even money favourite. So at this point... Um, is it safe to say he had quite a big fan base and a following in the UK? Yes, definitely. Oh, immediately. Immediately. Uh, I must say that uh, uh, the, the English have always been fond of, of new stars and uh, new, yes, new stars. You know, they were used to see the flat French horses to come and win some of the very good groups. But uh, on the jumps, no. So it was something new. He later goes to the Gold Cup and he's fourth uh, at five to four favorite. Did, did he underperform that day? Uh, I must say that day the, the track was very fast. Okay. I would nearly call it hard ground. And uh, the, in the downhill, he, he put the brakes on. He was quite wise about himself and he put the brakes on and he put himself out of the race a little bit and finished on the fourth. That's it. Huh? Fourth. And, he, 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 were, and he, he came back actually more fresh than the, from the two others. He didn't, ex, he didn't exo, exhaust himself that much that day and save the bookies. <laughs> well, we've, we've no sympathy for them. Um, he, runs a few, he runs a few times in France and then in 93, it's his fourth attempt at the King George and he's third. Um, were people starting to think he was in decline at this point or what was the reaction to that? Well, my reaction was that up to then, I hadn't, well, let's face it, to prepare from the King George to mid-March, a horse which is trained in France, where we, at that stage, there were not many all-weather courses. And you have snow, the Chantilly racing is at the standstill, there's not much proposition to, to work an athlete. And I suddenly realized, God, from the King George to uh, the Gold Cup, it's a hell of a long way, which I have always done up to now and, and lost by two Gaulois. Uh, I decided to, to give him a race in between for the first time. And that's when I ran him in this, uh, 
racing post. Is that it? Yeah, the racing post. Knowing that uh, he, he was top weight, knowing that it would be a difficult race, but knowing that I would have at least a good race in between the two. Uh, between the two, but it's a change of tactic. Okay, and he, he was he was third that day in the the racing post handicap chase at Kempton in February, but then March nineteen ninety four. His fourth attempt at a Gold Cup. And finally, he wins. Yeah. Four years in a row at his top. That, that proves the horse was a, a magnificent health he horse. Uh, not getting tired at all. Uh, always coming back sound and, and healthy. It was something special. It was really special. Yeah, and I mean... It must be just an incredible moment for you for, for, well, one, Adam Kondrat to get the win at Cheltenham after all that criticism. And this is the first French-trained horse to win the Gold Cup since in, in the post-war era. So how, how special was it for you that day? Um, very special for another reason, which uh, you probably don't uh, remember. <laughs> you, you were certainly too young. Uh, there's a horse who won both. It's Mandarin. Mm -hmm. Mandarin won the Constable Chase de Paris with Fred Winter. And there was a bit of a story between Mandarin and my father, who was, as you know, a trainer. Mandarin was uh, bred by Mr. Hennessy. My father was his trainer. And Mandarin arrived in my father's yard to be broken. And he looked like an unfinished horse. And my father said to Mr. Hennessy, please, Send back to the farm. We'll we'll see him next year when he'll be um, a more adult. And instead of that, Mr. Hennessy uh, offered him to his English wife, who sent it to uh, Falk Bowen, and did a marvelous job. But those are the, the two horses that uh, had a connection with us. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea. Yeah, That's fantastic. So then he runs, like you said, he runs in the Aintree Grand National and he fought. Like, what was the thinking behind going, trying Aintree? <laughs> the Marquesa has always been a challenging woman. She always was behind me to push me to the best, to the most difficult. And when we had those three musketeers, she wanted me to enter the three in the, in the Grand Cipriches de Paris because she wanted to have as she was a, a bridge player, she wanted to, to have the, the brelordas, as we call it, to finish first, second, and third, which is, you may have good horses, but to finish first and third, in a, you know, it's, it's just too, too, too difficult. So she, she said that, why don't we go to the Grand National? She said, at least the weights have been published the end of January, he won the gold cup and he doesn't get any extra weight. He, he, she, she knew how to count. So yes. we decided to do it. He, he did a beautiful first round. And in the second round, if I'm, I'm not wrong, he, he got worried, maybe that brought down, but very worried to make him fall at the canal turn, where he was still very much in, in the race. What else could, you know, could, can I say? There's one anecdote I can say because we're talking about the uh, the Grand National. 
is at the end of this race. Uh, Adam, Adam saw that his horse as well and himself too. He jumped back on the horse because I mean, from the canal turn to come back home. He wasn't feeling like uh, walking back. So he jumped on the, on, on the fellow and galloped along the outside fence. Of course, uh, in the finish line, in, in front of the public, was still in public, uh, in, in crowd there. And he, someone recognized him, well, the red colors, of course, and screamed the fellow. And the whole public shouted together, the fellow, the fellow, the fellow. You know, it's an it's a unfinishing horse. Would he deserve this compliment? This is English public. Yeah, that, that's, that's fantastic. I guess it really shows the fan base he had in, in the, even in the UK. Yeah, luckily I got the tape of, of that because uh, my good old friend, uh, um, Peter O'Sullivan, was, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, reporting, was commenting his last Grand National that day. And he was interviewed at the same time. So he was taped. And what happened with the fellow, the fellow, the fellow was very well taped too. So we've got a souvenir of that. That's brilliant. I'd love to see it. You mentioned Peter O'Sullivan. I believe he was a good friend of yours and obviously would be then a fan of the horse. It must have been tough for him to commentate on those two defeats. So I'm sure I'm he, sure I'm sure he was delighted when he finally saw him win and get, get his head in front in the Gold Cup. Yeah, I think he got a bit carried away when we eventually won because if you remember, or friends of you will, he he said, and the fellow won, wins, and vive la France, he said. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a bit much, you know. <laughs> and uh, I was very happy about it. And the Marquise as well. But she, she wasn't there. She wasn't there. She didn't like very much to come to, to her racing in, uh, in England. Uh, in France, she would not go that often too. She would have always have a, a, a bridge tournament the same day, avoiding the, I discovered she, she was actually very, very nervous about it. Because one day when we won the, the King George and we were waiting for the Queen Mother to come and give us a trophy, she grabbed my hand and she was absolutely shaky. <laughs> quite, quite something. That's, I, 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 never, I never knew that she, she didn't go to the racing very often. So. No, no, it made, uh, that, that day we won. She, you know, uh, uh, she phoned me straight after and she said, oh, well done, well done. And she immediately uh, passed to something else. She said, uh, uh, oh, by the way, I just uh, I, I put a, a nice money on your horse and you just won the Tierce at Longchamp. <laughs> <laughs> you know, talking immediately about something else. Wow, that's incredible. So after that Grand National, he has one more win at Atoy, um, and then he attempts the, the King George for a fifth time. He's pulled up that day. Was he just past his best? Maybe at that point, he was. Uh, he was. He was nine. Well, well, maybe there is an answer. I'm, 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 I did that uh, a good exercise for many of my horses. I have calculated the amount of, not miles, of kilometers they've done only in public in their racing. That horse has run 
250 kilometers on the rest. Wow. So it may be an answer. Though he was absolutely sound and very well and looking splendid. And if he, and it's not because he was going down that uh, we stopped him racing because the, the last day he ran the Grand Sleep, 18th of June, 95, it was the day Ubu 3 for us as well, one Grand Sleep, and he had an aneurysm just after the winning post. Thank, thank to him to damage just after the winning post rather than before. And so this UB3 died on the course that day. And the Marquesa said to me, but Francois, why do we carry on, carry on running the fellow then? Is, is one nearly everything of importance in, in England and France? Why don't we retire? She was saying that because we were partners and she would respect me. So I agreed 100% and we saved him. And he lived a long time on the, on their stud farm, on her stud farm. Chilwickberry stud farm, very near London, a very known farm. He was very happy there. How old was he when he eventually passed away? It must have been uh, eight years later. Wow. He, had, uh, he had colleagues or something, he, he didn't. He didn't die of good old age. Mm, but he did have a very nice retirement in that stud farm, I believe. Yeah, a very happy one. So then how significant was the fellow in terms of UK jumps racing? I've heard it said he really started the trend of French bred, French bred horses um, being bought for racing in, in the UK and Ireland. Uh, I would agree, uh, except Nupsala uh, were the first one. He was an EQPS as well. So uh, let's let's leave what uh, Nupsala deserves. He was the first non-thoroughbred horse to win in England a Group One. The fellow carried on. Oh, after that, there were quite quite a few others of mine. We won the King George as well with the Algarn, Algarn, which uh, we don't talk enough about him. He was absolutely an ama amazing horse. A, he won everything in France on the hurdles and the steeplechase. He won the King George on, in England and and a few and a few others. Uh, it, it, it was it was just a, where is he, my Algon? He's been uh, he's been really, uh, especially that he was an elegant. He didn't look at all like a AQPS. He looked like a pure thoroughbred, and he. he he, he won how many group ones in France? And he won with a, also with the jockey who had never ridden in England when he won the King George. It was a Philippe Chevalier. Uh, he went there once. He didn't realize there was an interview of him by a French journalist afterwards. Uh, he said, I didn't realize. I mean, God, there was a lot of people and people were very. Cheering, amazing. He, he just surprised, surprised. He won and he went and he never came back. <laughs> wow. Wow, it's amazing. So where does the fellow rank in terms of, you've, tra you've trained some amazing horses. You've mentioned a few uh, this evening, but where does the fellow rank for you? A horse to, to run in five King Georges, to run in four Gold Cups? Well, uh, as a steeper chaser, he was probably, yes, which uh, 
uh, considered the best because uh, my uh, my logic has always been uh, because we've got a little uh, battle between him and his full brother Al Capone, who in France was considered the best horse in the world. Uh, Al Capone won. Uh, how many grounds to purchase per year? No, no, no. He won five. Uh, the winter equivalent, which is actually like your, your King George. He won five King George. Uh, but this horse had never been anywhere else than at Auteuil. And for me, a great champion must have been proving himself in two, three or four of the best racetrack in Europe to, to be the, the champion. And I think the fellow deserves that. Um, I'd just like to get a word from you on his jockey, Adam, Adam Kondrat, who sadly passed away in 2020. What could you tell us about Adam as a man and as a rider? He was, he was very natural. He was, uh, you didn't have to, to give him any advice on how to ride a horse and to, to school horses in the morning. He was also uh, very dedicated in his job. Uh, he had no, he was lacking a little bit of uh, confidence in, in um, tactic. He was not the best uh, patient jockey like could be uh, Ruby Walsh and, and, uh, and uh, Mickey Fitz and my son, Thierry. At least I can talk about him. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, was a lovely guy. He had, a, after that, he had a, quite a few ac accidents and uh, uh, disappeared for a while and uh, went away progressively uh, in the southwest of France. You know, jockeys come and disappear. It's just uh, one of the things of jumping jockeys who had many accidents. That's what I say. I mean, even my son at the age of 26, he had to give up because he, the shoulder wasn't holding properly anymore. There was no tendons left. So that's, that's the way they live. It's different than the flat jockeys. Very much so, yeah. Um... Very lastly, Francois, I believe you're writing your memoirs at the moment. So what's, how are they going and, and when, when could we expect to maybe get our hands on them? <laughs> I'm losing courage. It's pretty <laughs> difficult. <laughs> and uh, and uh, also, I, I find that uh, not sure I'm making all that effort for, for a French book. Because in France, we don't have the same public. We don't have the same people near to the horses. And uh, I think I would have to have it translated to English and uh, maybe having published in England because really, honestly, uh, I'm losing courage because I, I know that uh, giving all sort of details like carrots to a French, uh, French population, they, they wouldn't even laugh. <laughs> <laughs> But what, what do you think? Well, in, in my experience, the racing public love hearing little, even silly little stories like that, like the carrots or horses quirks or personalities. So I'd certainly love to love to hear more of those things. So uh, I would encourage you to get, get the translation done. Okay. Well, you know, uh, at least uh, I, need, I need it. And uh, my wife is, is writing books at the moment. So she does want to hear about what I'm doing. So <laughs> thank God she helped me to talk to you. Um, but anyway, you know, the horse, to come back to him, he was, uh, 
you made 350 kilometers do that in miles it's nearly 300 uh, he won 16 races 29 places out of 54 races it was not far out of the frame you know and in, in England he, he, he had he won three group ones eight places of group ones he's been, he's been we have all his respect now there's one thing I would like to what to, what did I want to say we live calmly in the, on the farm now and we have two brumaires who are two weeks late to to give birth so oh. we we are a bit exhausted yeah I can imagine did you did you, did you notice that uh, you know it's now it's Elizabeth who looks after the stud farm entirely did you notice that we bred a winner of the, the Breeders Cup this year was that Odari? Odari? Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, huh. we we she's born here. We have a we have a, a sister of a, of a dam here, and we are very proud of her. Yeah, you must be. So, have you any any more prospects on the horizon? Well, yes, we have uh, still some uh, uh, two mares of the uh, family of Gimantonic. We we have a couple coming. So you're still very much very much involved in the game. Oh, yeah, thank God. Otherwise, you know, when you stop training suddenly for health reasons, uh, you would get bored very quickly. I'm sure you'll, you'll be keeping busy for a long time. Francois, I'm delighted with that. I've loved hearing all about him. I really appreciate it. It's a real pleasure and honour to speak to you, Francois. So thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. See you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, there you have it. Merci beaucoup uh, to Francois, a legend of the game and an absolute gentleman. Thank you also to the show sponsors, Horse Racing Ireland. Without them, this series would not be happening. So please do go and check out the links in the show notes to follow their social media channels. And also my own Twitter, at Mark Walsh, so you get updates on further episodes of Horse Racing Heroes. And now before I let you go, a couple of things you might do for me, uh, if you'd be so kind. Won't take long. Firstly, please do make sure you subscribe to this show so you never miss an episode. Any and all social media engagement, retweeting, liking, or sharing is always hugely appreciated. And finally, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, I would be very grateful if you could write me a review on there. A nice one, please. And finally, with this series being fortnightly, the next episode will be published on the 13th of October. So be sure to tune in then. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Horse Racing Heroes is proudly sponsored by Horse Racing Ireland. For more great racing stories, sign up to our weekly newsletter on hri.ie. Horse Racing Ireland, for every racing moment.